are listening to Nightlight. Hi and welcome to this, the latest edition of Nightlight. So nice to be back with you. On today's program, we're going to be meeting Dr. Kent Hovind, also known as Dr. Dino. Dr. Hovind is a world-renowned evangelist and advocate of creation science, and his comprehensive seven-part creation seminar has been translated into 32 languages and made quite an impact around the world. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. I'll be speaking to Dr. Hovind over Skype and asking him not only about creation science, but also about his time in prison, his views on the end time, his favorite Bible verse, a whole variety of different questions that have been sent in by those on our Nightlight mailing list who I invited to take this opportunity to ask Dr. Hovind any questions they may have. Dr. Hovind's going to be talking to us from his new dinosaur adventure land that he's building in Alabama in the USA. But before we connect with him, let's start with a song from Jerry Palladino.
the mass confusion in our land All our wisdom's in defeat As hatred rules the streets But well, we've tried man's theories long enough This world's headed down and I'm fed up Let's wake up now and buck the tide And stop this downward slide Because we're headed back to the jungle Jerry Palladino, back to the jungle. Nightlight's interview of the week. And our Nightlight interview this week is with Dr. Kent Hovind, who is talking to us over Skype. Dr. Hovind, I asked my listeners to send me some questions that I can ask you on their behalf and have a nice variety of questions to ask you here. But first, for those listening who are not familiar with you or your ministry, maybe you could briefly tell us about how you came to know the Lord, your testimony. Okay, uh, my name is Kent Hovind. I was born and raised in East Peoria, Illinois. Uh, when I was 16, someone asked me if I was going to heaven, and I said, I don't know. I had been raised in the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, and the Mennonite Church, and did not know for sure if I was going to heaven or not, but they explained to me how Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and I said, I believe that, and they said, well, now you need to receive him as your Savior. and so. February 9, 1969, I prayed and asked the Lord to forgive me and save me and got born into God's family. And over the next few months, things began to radically change from the inside out. It was God on the inside changing me. I started riding a church bus to a little Baptist church in Pekin, Illinois, and had a wonderful time and really grew in the Lord and finally went off to Bible college and ended up uh, teaching high school science and math for 15 years. Right. And moved to Pensacola, Florida in January of 89, and soon thereafter began a ministry called Creation Science Evangelism, defending the Bible as being scientifically accurate. And how did you first come to be interested in the topic of creation science? Sure. I was in through college majoring in you know learning about science and being a te- to be a teacher. I taught high school science and math, as I said, for 15 years. Then uh, I, I realized right away that what I was being taught in my public school and my uh, first year and a half at uh, the secular college, I realized that uh, this evolution theory does not match the Bible, what they're teaching me in the Bible. I said, somebody is wrong, and I'm determined to get to the bottom of it. And I read some great books by Henry Morris and Dwayne Gish and the, the, the early pioneers in the modern creation movement that really, really strongly influenced me. So. I built a uh, ministry, I guess, founded on, on, on that, that the Bible is true and uh, it can be defended scientifically. That's very interesting. I have a question here from a listener who asks what you consider to be your main goal in life. What have you been trying to achieve with your ministry? Sure. For the 48 years I've been a Christian, my goal is to bring, excuse me, bring other people to the Lord, to win people to Christ and then to strengthen their faith in the Bible that it is indeed scientifically accurate. So many Christians are, are genuinely born again, but they're 
struggling with all the um, misinformation they've been given about evolution. Right. I want to win people to the Lord and then strengthen their faith and, and challenge them to go do the same, go lead other people to Christ. Okay, here's another question for you. What would you say was your most memorable moment or favorite experience within all the years of your ministry? Well, I'd only been saved for a few months. This would have been back in 1969. And I was asked to come to a uh, the heart of Illinois a fair, like a carnival they had there in Peoria, Illinois, uh-huh. where a Christian group had set up a booth to, uh, in, to lead other people to the Lord, a soul-winning booth. And my job was to go out into the crowd and encourage people to come inside so somebody could talk to them. So as I was doing that, I was uh, first two nights I was bringing people from the crowd outside into the into the tent to uh, bring them to the soul winner. Uh-huh. And about, I think it was about the third night, if I recall, uh, I went out and this big old football player. Uh, we had a questionnaire they filled out, and one of the questions was, "Would you like to get to know God better?" And if they said yes, I was supposed to bring him inside to the to the soul winner. So I brought him. Uh, I brought this guy back, and there was no, all the soul winners were gone. They were all <laughs> winning, uh, gone to eat or something. I don't know, but they weren't there. And so he said, what do we do now? And I said, well, I guess I'll show you. So we sat down in the chairs, and I took a gospel track out of my pocket, of God's Four Spiritual Laws, and I read the whole thing to him. And at the end it said, you know, pray this prayer to receive Christ. I said, would you like to pray this prayer? He said, yes, I would. Wow. So I I simply read the prayer. Uh, We bowed our heads and closed our eyes, but I kept one eye open. I read the prayer line by line, and he repeated and asked Jesus to save him. And that was my first uh, experience with winning someone to Christ, winning souls. Uh And, wow, I I said, man, God, I want to do this the rest of my life. (laughs) So it's been 48 and a half years now, and nothing's changed. I still want to keep doing that. (laughs) That's super. Well, another question. What hopes and dreams do you still have that you'd like to achieve in your life and ministry? What more would you still like the Lord to do through you and your ministry that you feel has not been done yet? Well, we are in the middle of building a dinosaur adventure land. It will be a combination of several things, a campground, a theme park, a museum, a science center, all based on science in the Bible. I want to see kids, A, come there so we can draw them closer to the Lord, Uh and B, make videotapes of what we do there to send out all over the world, and C, inspire others to do something in their neighborhood. Yes. If you build a $10 million museum or a $100 million museum, that's wonderful, and we need that, but not everybody can do that. But if you build a a, a low-tech, easy-to-duplicate ministry that everybody, you could build one in Uganda, build one Uh anywhere. (laughs) Everything we do has a science lesson and a spiritual lesson. Like, for instance, we have a bowling ball on on a cable up into a tree. We teach the kids, God made the universe and God made laws. One of the laws, besides the law of gravity, is called the law of the pendulum. When a pendulum is swinging back and forth, it will never come higher than you drop it from. If you drop it from a certain height, it'll swing out and come back. And the the point of this is, you can trust God's laws. They never change. So we'll get the kid there, and we put the bowling ball next to his nose and drop it, and it swings way out, and when it comes back, it stops right by the nose. It won't go any further. (laughs) Right. And we tell them not to demonstrate that you trust God's laws. When it comes back, you can't blink and you can't move. That's a simple science experiment that teaches a really great lesson that anybody could do anywhere. Uh, all you need is a heavy rock on a string. <laughs> you can teach that science, the science laws. So we want to use uh, the science, the laws that God made in the creation of God to glorify Him. Yes. God gifted me years ago by keeping me permanently in fourth grade. <laughs> I can explain things very simply where the fourth graders get it. And so that, that's my... Most of the creationists are so smart that people leave after listening to him and say, wow, he was really smart. What did he say? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that at all. I want people to say, I understood that guy. So that's my goal in life is to take all the, the, the scientific evidence and simplify it down where everybody understands it and they give God the glory. Well, you certainly do have that gift, Dr. Hovind. All of my six kids have loved your videos, not just the ones you've done for kids, but all of them. And thank you so much for those. Uh, They're thoroughly inoculated from ever believing the ridiculous 
live evolution. But I want to ask you something about that a little later on. But first, here's another question from one of our Nightlight listeners before we break for a song. She asks, do you have a favorite or frequently used Bible verse? Well, Joshua 2415 has been my life verse since early in my Christian life. You know, Joshua said, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he said, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So that, I'd say, is one of my top favorite verses. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight. Let's take a break for a song from David Blossom. I think this will lead nicely into the next section of the interview with Dr. Kent Hovind, in which I'm going to ask him to briefly summarize his top reasons why the theory of evolution is ridiculously impossible. Call me naive, but I still believe in Adam and Eve. Call me insane, but I think when it rains, just know his family remains. And 
That's David Blossom, song called Adam and Eve. I hope you're listening to the lyrics of these songs because they're really spot on. They're absolutely terrific. Nightlight. What a delight. And we're talking with Kent Hovind over Skype. He's talking to us from Alabama, from his new dinosaur adventure land. Kent, let's turn now to the topic of creation science. When many people think of you, it's in context of your ministry of debunking the lies of evolution. Let's spend a little time on that. Maybe you could briefly just summarize your top reasons why the theory of evolution just is impossible. It couldn't be true. Well, the first thing I do in the debates, and I've done about 120 of them now, is I define the word evolution. Exactly what are we talking about? I give it six different meanings or levels or stages of evolution. Number one, you would have to have what they call cosmic evolution. That would be the origin of time, space, and matter. How did we get here? How did space get here? Where did matter come from? Where did energy come from? Where did the laws come from? Right. Of course, the Bible answers that in the first verse. You know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The cosmic evolution is step one, for which there is absolutely no scientific evidence that it happened anything other than God doing it. The atheists have tried to come up with a theory to answer that, called the Big Bang Theory. Right. They say, well, one day nothing exploded and made everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's not an answer. That's a fairy tale. So, cosmic evolution is number one. Number two would be chemical evolution. Because according to their Big Bang, the Big Bang would have produced hydrogen or helium. Well, how do we get all these other elements? You're going to make gold and silver and platinum out of hydrogen gas? I want to see how that happens. Number three, you have to have stellar evolution. The stars have to evolve. And no one's ever seen a star forming. They see stars blowing up once in a while, but they never see one forming. So that's not observable. So the first three levels or stages of evolution are purely religion. They believe in them, but they don't have any science for that. Number four would be organic evolution, where life has to get started from non-living material. And nobody's ever seen that. They can't even make it happen in the laboratory. One atheist said, well, Hovind, suppose scientists make life in the lab someday. What are you going to say then? I said, well, first place, they are nowhere close to making life in the lab. But if they could make life in the lab, I guess that would prove it takes intelligence to make life. (laughs) That would prove creation, not evolution. Right. Number five, you have to have what's called uh, macroevolution. That's where animals change to a different kind of animal. Nobody's ever seen that. Every farmer in the world counts on that not happening. When he crossbreeds his cows, he expects to get a cow. When he plants his corn, he expects corn to grow. Macroevolution doesn't happen. There aren't, the Bible says 10 times in Genesis chapter 1, and then 10 more times in the flood story, Genesis 6 and 7, that the animals will bring forth after their kind. And it uses the word kind, not species. A dog and a wolf and a coyote are different species, but they're the same kind of animal, and a five-year-old knows that. Uh, there are eight, eight species of bears in the world, black bear, panda bear, grizzly bear, and they might have had a common ancestor, a bear. They're the same kind of animal. So God told Noah to bring onto the ark two of each kind, not two of each species. Right. Anyway, so number five is called macroevolution, where an animal changes to a different kind. It's never been seen. Never. Number six is what we call microevolution, and I object to using that term, but they do, so we explain it. Microevolution would say variations happen within the same kind. You get big dogs or little dogs or hairy dogs or, you know, hairless dogs, but you always get a dog. So, variations within the kind, number six, now that one is science, microevolution. And in the mind of the evolutionist, those little changes that we observe can somehow magically add up to macroevolution. So they're going to give your students in school thousands of examples of number six and try to make them believe that that proves the whole theory. And it does not. Right. It actually proves the Bible is correct. So the first thing I do in the debates or discussions is define this word evolution. What are we talking about? And that usually shuts down the whole debate right there. Because all they can give from then on is examples of number six, microevolution. I say, guys, that's just a variation of the same kind. That's not evolution. Nightlight Insights. 
Wow, that's a really good list. And of course, since the video series that I watched with my kids over 10 years ago, there have been many more advancements in science, such as a fuller understanding of the complexities of DNA. Have there been any recent developments that you would say has strengthened your arguments against evolution? Well, there are discoveries all the time that indicate this cannot be explained with any evolution. The, the deeper they get into the DNA and discover how amazing this, this is, you know, one person's DNA, if you extracted all the DNA out of your body, it would fill about two tablespoons. No, one tablespoon. Okay. But if you tied it ends to end and stretched it out, it would go from, I think, from Earth to the moon and back 10,000 times or something. It's phenomenal. <laughs> wow. Gosh. That is the code to make you. That's Your body has that incredible computer code to make new cells and make eyeballs and make ears, etc. That's a phenomenal code. Darwin didn't know anything about that. Never right. heard of DNA or even chromosomes, I don't think, in Darwin's day. They thought the cell was a simple little sack of jelly. Now we know it is more. each cell in your body is more complex than a space shuttle. Wow. The average person has probably a hundred trillion cells with a T. I mean, there's only seven billion people in the world, so you probably got more cells in your hand than there are people in the world. Wow. It's phenomenal. So I think the more research we do, the more people ought to stand in awe and say, wow, what a mighty God we serve. But instead, they try to figure out some way to explain it, you know, naturally. If I told you, I want you to explain how computers got here, but you cannot use man as your answer. Could you give me a naturalistic explanation for how computers could arise? Well, no. Somebody had to do it. it. And that's what we're doing now in our science class. We're saying, we want you to explain how the world got here, but you cannot use God as part of your answer. Okay, well then, conversation's over, because you've eliminated the only logical answer by your stupid rules at the beginning. Now, who is God and where did he come from and all that stuff? That's a different set of questions. But the fact is, there had to be a God design all this. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Kent, where online can people go who haven't seen your videos and your classes on creation science? Can they search for you on YouTube? How can they find you? Sure. Our website is drdino.com, D-R-D-I-N-O, Dr. Dino. Uh, YouTube, I do every day, sometimes several a day, uh, answer questions and talk about various things. That is just my name, Kent Hovind, K-E-N-T-H-O-V-I-N-D, Kent Hovind Official is our YouTube channel. They can call our office uh, and get our video series. It's $50 for the whole 18-hour seminar. And it's 855-BIG-DINO, like a big dinosaur. 855-BIG-DINO. They could come to Lenox. Come to Lenox. We have a little bookstore there. Way out in the country, and traffic is... We had a car come by yesterday, I think, so we don't get a whole lot of traffic. <laughs> don't get any traffic. It's, it's wonderful out there. We love it. Is it a work in process, or are you already open? We've already had over a thousand visitors come through to see what we've got going, so we'll probably never be done. But it's right. done. It's done enough. People can start coming now if they want. Right. If they visit your website, they can see pictures of it and your interesting science experiments and all. Yes, sir. Yep. And we'll be adding stuff to it forever. I feel all right when I'm listening to Nightlight. Nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightlight. Dr. Hovind, I'm going to play you a song now that I always hoped that you would get to hear because I think you'll really enjoy the message and the humor of it. This is Jeremy Spencer asking, did Charlie make a monkey out of you? Well, they say about 60 billion years ago, a little fish changed to a tadpole. Sprouted legs and grew some hands Then it crawled out on the land Changed from a reptile to a monkey then a man So today I took the Bible to my school But the teacher said that was against the rules She said my grandpa's a gorilla My dad's a chimpanzee And my little baby brother's a baboon Charlie, make a monkey out of you Do you think you should be living in a zoo? Don't you know that it's a lie When it comes your turn to die You'll find out you're not a monkey but a fool 
Well, I've heard some far-fetched stories in my day But the one I heard this morning takes the cake Well, I'm looking in the mirror Just checking out my rear But I can't find a tail growing any place Did Charlie make a monkey out of you? Do you think you should be living in a zoo? Don't you know that it's a lie When it comes your turn to die You'll find out you're not a monkey but a fool I stood up to the teacher and told the class I can't swallow this baloney about our past Evolution really stinks There's too many missing links To believe all this is just too much to ask Did Charlie make a monkey out of you? Do you think you should be living in a zoo? Don't you know that it's a lie When it comes your turn to die You'll find out you're not a monkey but a fool Did Charlie make a monkey out of you? Do you think you should be living in a zoo? Don't you know that it's a lie When it comes your turn to die You'll find out you're not a monkey but a fool Find out you're not a monkey but a fool Don't let Charlie make a monkey out of you Nightlight You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight Shining God's love light to the world and on this special edition of Nightlight, we're speaking with Dr. Kent Hovind. He is in Alabama at the newly being built Dinosaur Adventureland. And we're speaking together over Skype. Kent, I have some questions now, and you don't have to answer them if you prefer not to, about your time in prison. Sure. I remember being shocked and disappointed when I heard that you'd been sentenced to prison, as it seemed that your ministry of exposing the big lie of evolution was being so effective. But it didn't really surprise me that the enemy tried to shut you down and shut you up. But I've never fully understood just how they managed to get you. Could you tell your side of the story? Why were you sent to prison? Well, let me give a little background here. There are many different forms of government in the world. Communism, socialism, Marxism, capitalism, you know, democracy, republic, etc. In my video series that I do on drdino.com, video number five is where I talk about the dangers of evolution. The theory of evolution is not only stupid, it's dangerous. That was the very philosophy that motivated Karl Marx to develop his theories of communism. Right. Because the founders of America said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain rights. So the simple question is, where do rights come from? Do you have the right to drive on the highway? Or do you have to buy that right from somebody else? You know, i.e. a license. Uh, so my video five is where I hit very hard on the dangers of evolution and how it is the foundation philosophy behind communism, socialism, Nazism, uh, and the new world order, the coming new world order. There are some super rich bazillionaires that want to control the entire world and they want to reduce the human population to a half billion. Right. Just Google Georgia Guidestones. They published it back in 1982, what they hope to do. Uh, we were building our ministry in Pensacola, Florida and we had purchased up five or six, uh, I guess about maybe even a total of ten uh, over the over period of years, houses in the neighborhood just mostly to have the property to build our dinosaur adventure land. We were remodeling all these houses since they were older, built in the 50s and in pretty bad shape so that our staff could live in them. Well, because we had so many college students coming to help us, uh, come, they would come for a couple hours if they had time, and we had so many projects going, we dealt in cash for about a year and a half my wife would go down to the bank and get $9,500, and then when students showed up, we'd hand them the pickup truck and $3,000 and say, go buy shingles or go buy cabinets or whatever. And so we were had a lot of building projects going all simultaneously. 
And so I didn't want to trust all these college students with the truck and a credit card because they may come back, you know, six months later and think, thanks for the vacation. So we dealt with cash, and my, the pastor said, try to keep your withdrawals from the bank under $10,000, or else they might think you're a drug dealer. Well, Congress passed a law years ago that said if anyone takes out over $10,000 in cash, the bank has to fill out a form called a CTR, Cash Transaction Report. So the drug dealer started saying, well, hey, let's go take out 9500 in the morning and then take out 9500 in the afternoon, and we can evade that report because you have to do 10000 at one time. So Congress passed another law that says if someone does two transactions in one day that are under 10000 but they total over 10000 they are now breaking the law and they are evading the reporting requirement. It's called structuring your transactions. So that when they came and arrested me, first they came with the SWAT team to our ministry and said, get every DVD number five you can find. Wow. And they went through with a fine-tooth comb and stole every DVD number five, where I talk about the dangers of evolution. They took me to trial, and my wife, to trial for structuring. I said, I don't know what that is. They said, well, fine, because after about a year and a half of, of using cash, we decided to go ahead and get credit cards, and, and we did. And so we stopped all this back in 2002. Well, 2006, they came in and arrested me for structuring. I said, what is this? They said, four years ago and five years ago, you took your money out of the bank in amounts less than $10,000. I said, yeah? Well, that's against the law. <laughs> well, it's not against the law, but they, that's the best they could find on me to, to lock me up because they didn't want me to teach what I was teaching on number, video five. So anyway, my attorney said, Kent, don't even give a defense. There is no crime here. You did not break any laws. Don't even say anything. Don't give a defense. So after the government put on their dog and pony show for two weeks, the jury was completely confused. My attorney simply got up and said, folks, the law says you have to take out more than 10000 Kent never did that. The judge, they stopped the trial, held a recess, and the judge came back with a new jury instruction and said, if you find Kent Hovind took out less than $10,000, you must find him guilty. Gosh. Which, of course, is not what the law says. She really changed the law, this woman judged it, to be sure that I was found guilty. Sure enough, the jury found me guilty, because I was. I was guilty of taking out less than 10000 <laughs> I mean, haven't you ever taken out less than 10000 Okay. So, at, at sentencing, the judge said, now, maximum sentence for this is zero to six months. But your crime is worse than rape. I'm enhancing this to 10 years. What? Gave me a 10-year sentence for taking our own money out of our own bank to pay our own bills. Yes, sir. Well, it happened gosh. to me. While I was in prison, they moved me 32 times to keep me quiet. Didn't work. My gosh. So it was persecution pure and simple. I was almost, almost done serving my time, ready to get out, and they brought a new charge against me of mail fraud for mailing a letter to the courthouse. What? That carries a 20-year sentence. Mail fraud does. Gosh. One, one juror refused to vote guilty or I would have gone to prison for 20 more years. Gosh. It came that close. Wow, so it's a miracle that you're out of prison now. Yeah, I've been out almost two years and loving it. We're building our place. Straight north of Pensacola, 70 miles, is a little bitty town called Lenox, Alabama. And that's where we're building our dinosaur adventure land. Tell people, come on down and bring a hammer. We got a lot of work to do. It's never completely dark when you're listening to Nightlight. I have another question here related to your time in prison. Of course, nothing happens to God's children, especially to those who are wholeheartedly serving him. That's not a perfect part of his plan. Looking back now on your years in prison, what lessons did you learn from it? In what ways was it a positive experience? Yeah, half the Bible is written from prison or by people who went to prison. So. That's not a problem. Uh, so, yes, I was able to lead 800 men to the Lord. I was able to uh, read a lot and, and change my theology on end times. Just that was, was worth a lot, to see the truth that I had been deceived about you know, the rapture. Uh -huh. God forced me, uh, after this prison thing, to, and, uh, to move out of Pensacola up to this new property, which is just amazing. Nearly 150 acres. Uh, and so God has just blessed. Uh, I'm glad it's over with. I don't want to do it again, but uh, it, it, God used it in a great way. How were you treated in prison? 
Well, I, that was moved 32 times. Uh, the federal prison camps where I was most of the time are really a complete waste of time and money. It's more like being in a college dorm. You just simply can't leave. You know, you have books and library and, uh, you know, plenty to do. I was shocked to learn that uh, most of the prisons in America, the land is privately owned. And so it's a money-making racket. It's a giant money-making scam. America has 4% of the world's population and 26% of the world's prisoners. Really? Yes, sir. 26% of all the people in the world that are in jail are in America because politicians and judges own the prisons or, or profit from it. For instance, I was the last prison I was at was Yazoo City, Mississippi. It's a gigantic prison. I don't know how many people there. Way, way over a thousand people. The land is owned by the former conservative governor of Mississippi, Haley Barber. He's got a 99-year lease where he leases the land to the federal government. They built their prison. His son, Haley Barber Jr., is the chief federal judge in Jackson, Mississippi. Gosh. Now, to me, that just looks like a double, uh, double dipping, where you profit from sending people to your own prison to make sure it stays full so you can milk the federal government out of more money. Absolutely. So I wrote a book about that called The Kennel, about a big dog kennel. Uh, that's the only book I wrote from prison, not about something scriptural. Uh, I wrote 37 books from there, able to earn two more doctorates while I was in prison. And I tried to use my wow. time wisely. But uh, it, it, I, whoever told you it was a good experience, I think that would be a, a good way to put it. Uh, I'm glad it's over. But uh, it, I, God was wonderful. It was great. So if, if you fear going to prison, I don't think anybody needs to fear that. Just, you just keep serving God. Like Daniel, you get thrown in the lion's den, okay, that's God's problem. Stop the mouths of the lions. Okay, here's another question that was sent in to you. Any miracles or testimonies from prison, the greatest joy that you experienced while there? It's always, it's always amazing to watch someone receive Christ and then begin to grow and change. To me, that's just, I never get tired of seeing that miracle. I was able to lead about 800 men to the Lord. I didn't keep exact count. I counted for a couple of months and then just multiplied and guessed it, you know, about 800. Was that one by one or were you able to lead meetings? How did the soul winning happen? Yes, yeah, so we had Bible study three or four times a day uh, and people would come uh, in my room or in the chapel buildings. The federal prison camps, as I said, I was there most of the time. They are much easier. The last year I was in county jail, which is horrible. Uh, that's where you have uh, the, unif the orange uniform and all crammed in one room, and it's just inhumane what they do. But uh, still, I held Bible study three or four times a day and was able to win many men to the Lord and see radical changes. I answered a lot of mail, about 18,000 letters, I think, uh, from prison. Wow. Uh, it's just a great, uh, great place to get caught up on stuff. Oh, walk the road of yesteryear Try to remember clear just what I'm doing here. Oh, I remember. We're boxers in a fighting ring. The devil's got a nasty swing. I think I'll knock him out. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Love and soul. 
take a stand. That's something our guest, Dr. Kent Hovind, has certainly taken. A very strong stand against the false teachings of evolution. A stand that has brought him persecution and even imprisonment. Doctor, here's a related question from one of our listeners. She asks, any advice on how we can prepare our young people to face the ridicule of peers at school or universities? Any good resources that you could suggest? Um, Daniel and his three friends decided not to bow down to the king. Uh, Daniel ended up going into the lion's den. The three boys ended up going into the furnace. I don't know, and there were 10,000 of these young Jewish boys that were captured and taken off to slavery, but only those four did not, did not bow down. I don't know that there's an external source that you can give a child to, or give a young person to prepare them. It has to be something inside of them where they say, I'm not going to bow, I'm not going to bend, I'm not hopefully going to burn. <laughs> Johnny Cash did that famous song. They wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. I think it has to be internal. Right. Now, a lot of things affect what happens internally, you know, what you read, what you see, what you hear. When I was first a Christian, I was uh, driving my Volkswagen back and forth to school, six, five or six miles, and my pastor at the little Baptist church I was going to started feeding me great sermons from great men of God through the last century that had been put on audio tape. So similar to what you're doing, spreading messages via audio uh, into internet in any way you can, that was a profound influence on me because rather than going to church once a week, I was effectively getting six or eight or ten sermons a week. Yes. While I'm driving back and forth, I'm listening to great sermons. The other thing that really affected me was someone gave me the whole Bible on record, read by Alexander Scorby, the British man, uh, <laughs> yes. Britisher Alexander Scorby. I listened to the Bible and I learned I could listen to it at double speed. Huh. And then I got to where I could listen to it at triple speed. <laughs> uh, so I was going through the whole Bible about every 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 24 hours. You could read in 24 hours, read the whole Bible. Wow! <clears throat> that was a profound influence on me. If you just simply read through it as fast as you can, don't try to stop and study all the details and pick the you know smell the lilies. Um, you get a bird's eye view of the book, and so I got that first, and then started working on the details. I just read it cover to cover, probably five, six, I don't know, maybe eight times. And then, uh, you know, go back and uh, pick out the details. But give me a, a good, I think a bird's eye view is the best way to describe it. Inspiring you to love and serve Jesus more. You're listening to Night Light. Dr. Hovind, uh, there's no doubt that any one of these topics that we're talking about, you could fill out a whole show or more, many shows on that topic. So I understand you can only answer very briefly. But changing our topic now to the end times, do you feel that we're living in the last generation before the second coming of Jesus Christ? What are your thoughts on the times we're now living in relation to end time events prophesied in the Bible? Well, for 40 years of my Christian life, I believed and taught that Jesus can come back any minute. It's called the pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, I do not believe that anymore, but I did for nearly 40 years because that's what was taught in the Schofield Bible and the several study Bibles yeah. I used. Uh, it's, I don't, it's well, not What true. changed your mind on that? Well, a number of things. I was reading in Daniel chapter 7 uh, about the end times. To answer your question, yes, I think we're living in the end times. I think we're going to see the world completely come unraveled and come unglued and enter a time of horrible tribulation, especially for Christians. And I think that's going to start very soon. I would, If I had to guess, I would say in the next couple of years. But in Daniel it said... Uh, at the end of time, there would be four great beasts representing four great world powers fighting for dominion over the world. And it gives them the lion with eagle's wings, which I think is probably America, England. And then there's a, a bear with three ribs in its mouth, which I take to be Soviet Union, probably, or Russia. There's a, a leopard with four wings on its back, which uh, I, I suspect is going to be probably an Asian alliance of nations, China, Japan, Korea, whatever. Uh, they're going to try to form. It's, it's all going to be about money. Yeah, the fourth beast is a, is just called a beast. There's no animal for it, and I think that's going to be the Islam Empire, uh, Muslim Empire. So it says in there that uh, if you read Daniel chapter seven, it says the he wears out the saints. I thought, now wait a minute. I thought the saints are gone. No. Then I went to Matthew 24, where Jesus' disciples asked him a simple question. Lord, when are you coming and what's the sign? 
And he goes for the next 20 verses and answers their question. At the end, down in, down in verse 29, he says, after the tribulation, the sun and the moon are going to go dark. And I yes. thought, whoa, there it is right there. He answered their question. He's coming back after the tribulation, when the sun and the moon yes. go dark. So I chased it down and found there are 10 references in the Bible to the sun and the moon going dark. The first one's Isaiah 13, 10. The last one is Revelation 6, 12. So we are raptured out, if you're reading through the book of Revelation, at chapter 6, verse 12, we're raptured out, but the 11 verses before that describe a horrible time of tribulation, which we're going to be here for. I was, while I was writing my book, I was publishing different chapters of it uh, on the Internet, and people were writing in comments. And many people asked me, Kent, when is the Lord coming? And I said, obviously, I don't know, but this would be my guess. If I had to guess, I would guess 2028. And here's my reasons why, and I give about 10 or 15, 20 reasons why I chose that date above all others. So I, I would just be a wild guess, but I think 2028 will be the rapture, and I don't think there's going to be many people left alive to go. They're killing Christians now by the hundreds in many countries. Uh, they're trying to wipe yes. them out completely in some countries. It's, it's yes. awful what's happening, and it's coming to America and England. Well, look what's happening in England right now. That's your yep. country. Yep. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. Okay, well, we have time maybe for one or two more questions. Here's another one for you. What message do you have for us, if any, at this time in your life? Well, Jesus said at the end of time, it's going to be worse than it was in the days of Noah. And the persecution is going to be the worst ever. In Matthew 5, 6, 7, he talks about that. It's going to be a time of tribulation like we've never seen. Uh, I would encourage Christians to, A, get, be sure you're saved. Get your head full with Scripture because you're going to need that to, to, to hold you through times of trial and testing. Uh, and quit worrying about stupid things that aren't going to matter. It's not going to matter who threw the ball through the hoop or who knocked the ball into the hole in the dirt. Those things are not right. going to matter one day. We need to quit playing with the dumb stuff and start getting on the real serious stuff of winning souls, drawing people to the Lord. Second Chronicles 7.14 is the only solution for America's problem. If God's people, which are called by His name, would humble themselves and pray and seek His face and turn from their wicked ways, God would fix the problem. So I would encourage everybody, you go look in the mirror and say, if everybody in America was just like me, or everybody in my country, whatever country you're in, if everybody was just like me, could God bless this place or would he have to punish it? What sin is in your life? That's what you got to look at. Say, God, if you're not happy with me, help me get, the, help me get rid of this. So I just want to see revival. Uh, I'm not trying to save America or save the world. I'm trying to save souls. Days are getting dark. 
Johnson, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, Jesus. Well, between now and then, we have some dark days ahead, but would you agree, Dr. Hoven, that although it's going to be a terrible time of persecution for Christians and those of other faiths, it also says in Daniel that they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits, and it's also going to be a great time to be alive because the Lord is going to do some awesome things to protect his children and manifest his power through them. Oh, absolutely. I would go back to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as examples. Uh, those who, you know, when th- those three boys did not bow down, where were the other 9,997? You know, they had their head on the ground and their butt in the air bowing down to this image. <laughs> uh, but we don't, know, and we don't know the names of any of them. We know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you're right. This is yeah. going to be a time of great testing. Most Christians are probably going to fall away. Uh, in Revelation and uh, Daniel 7 and Revelation 5, it talks about 10,000 times 10,000, 100 million who were martyred. Well, there are 400 million claiming to be Christian right now, or 500 million, whatever the number is. Why only 100 million martyred? Where's the other, you know, three or 400 million? I'm not saying I want to be a martyr. I'm going to try to avoid dying and make it the last thing I do. It's, 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 it's going to happen, and we need to be, you know, stay close to the Lord. It's going to get really bad. Dr. Hoven, unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you so very much for taking your time to come and share with us. All right, well, thank you for having me. Rather call anytime. I'll see you next time for another edition of Nightlight. God bless you. Bye-bye. Nightlight.